0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. Today's interview is with Dr. Eric Miller, who is the founder and CEO of Marsh Creek Social Works, an organizational and management consulting firm for the nonprofit and social sector, offering advising services, bookkeeping, and accounting service, as well as an impact investment fund. But before we get started, I wanted to take a minute to remind you that this Friday, November 3rd, we'll be launching our holiday gift guide at toastinggood.com. This is always a great chance to learn about some different social enterprise products that are going to make good gifts for you and your friends and family. But also this year, we'll be doing some fun things with the gift guide, including a holiday giveaway on Instagram. So make sure you log into Instagram and follow us at Social Enterprise Alliance. Prior to his work in the social sector, Eric served a 20-year career as an intelligence officer in the U.S. Army and the Department of Defense. As Eric's time in the military came to a close, he pursued his doctorate examining how to scale social impact within social enterprises and nonprofit organizations. In 2022, he expanded his company beyond social sector advising services to include back office bookkeeping and accounting services and an impact investing venture based on the needs he identified among social enterprises, nonprofits, and small businesses servicing other social enterprises. Marsh Creek Social Works believes that in building a community footprint, they can achieve partnerships and cooperations between community, business, and social partners to more effectively identify and pursue solutions to community happiness. Welcome, Eric, to the podcast.
1: Hi, Eric. Welcome to the SCA Podcast.
2: Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: We're so glad to have a conversation with you today.
2: (laughs) I'm such a fan of the show, and I've been listening for a while now, so I'm so excited uh, to come down, talk to you two uh, in person, um, and talk a little bit about the work that we do.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, First of all, we'd just love to know a little bit more about your story. You have had a lot of political and military experience. So how did that prepare? Like, what was your entry point into the world of social enterprise?
2: Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. It's part of the, the founding story, right? That all of, all young startups have. Um, and certainly, you know, as I looked, uh, coming out of college at my career, um, the social sector was not on my radar, just didn't have a lot of exposure to it. Um, I had gone ROTC in college and knew I was going to follow kind of in the family business. Uh, my father was military. My mom worked for the, for the Department of the Army. And so that was my plan. At least go try it out. Now that was before 9-11, right? So it's just a different world back then. So I was going to go in, see the world for a few years, figure out what I really wanted to do when I grow up uh, and then go from there. So I was on active duty for about a year before 9-11 happened. And then, you know, as we all know, the the world changed and what was going to be just a couple of years in the service turned into an entire career. I've been to Met my wife on active duty as well. Uh, and so we got married. And so that was a whole different career trajectory. So 20 years in the United States Army as an intelligence officer and a strategist. Um, so a career of analyzing trends, opportunities and risks that impacted organizations, specifically Army units and um, Army organizations, defense organizations, you know, in a wide range of activities from, from combat to overseas to international issues to national security at home. So somewhere in, in that journey, uh, I think it was sometime in the 2004-2000 frame, uh, my wife and I uh, decided to take a vacation. And one of her friends from college had started a little nonprofit down in Oaxaca, Mexico uh, called Puente a la Salud Uh That was Catherine Lorenz, who has gone on to make uh, quite a name for herself in family ph- philanthropy. And so we went down to visit Catherine at this nonprofit in Oaxaca. And it was really my first experience, touching, tasting, feeling what a nonprofit was. And so the idea of this nonprofit was to introduce amaranth, an ancient grain, much more nutritious than corn, back into the community to try to improve nutrition uh, for young children as they're growing up. So it wasn't just watching one, it was like seeing workshops in the field and it really was kind of eye-opening in terms of, wow, there's this whole ecosystem of organizations that are meant to do this. And so it was at that time I determined, you know, when I retire from the military, when I move on to my next career, I want to be in the social sector, whatever that meant. So over the next, you know, decade and a half, I pursued some independent studies, some degrees. I eventually got an MBA. I focused on nonprofit management. Uh, we did our business plan on a nonprofit rating service pitch for funding. We didn't get funded, which is why I stayed in the military. Went on to get a doctorate, but focused on management and specifically how organizations can scale social impact. Coming out of there, I was able to get an adjunct professor positionship at the George Mason University School of Business, where I taught courses on business and society and the global business environment. So kind of looking at it from the nonprofit sector, from the social enterprise sector, and then from the corporate section, like how can we bring all these things together? So coming out of my my career, I knew I wanted to somehow take all of those things. And how can I go run a business, which had also been a, a goal of mine? As part of my transition uh, out of the United States Army, I had a chance to do a fellowship with Arabella Advisors, headquartered in Washington, D.C., and I was the executive advisor to the CEO and COO, working on a variety of different projects, looking at how the business runs and how you can have impact across the sector in a variety of different ways. And so it was that kind of formative experience. You know, I like to say Marsh Creek Social Works, my company, was kind of built in Arabella's image, um, grew out from that and took the things that I thought that I could specialize in. So working in the Army and the Department of Defense, and then looking at the social sector aspects that I was doing, you know, there was a lot of things that I was like, you know, there's things that the Defense Department Army do really well, right? Structure, organizational management, planning, strategy. Um, And there are some specific things that I thought could be well applied to the social sector, specifically to nonprofits, to foundations. And so that's really where I think our competitive advantage is. You know, across our team, we've got over a Century of experience, right, <laughs> in strategy and planning, in the in the highest levels of organizations, in the most strenuous of circumstances. So, how do we apply that to what an organization? At the end of the day, a nonprofit, a foundation, a corporate—they're they're all just organizations. And so, using that expertise and what's worked before, and kind of bringing in that very very specialized skill set is where I think that we have our most impact with those sectors.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think it's really important to, to have that framework where we're all trying to do something, right? We're all trying to, whether it's increased profitability or increased levels of impact or in this particular segment, you know, trying to do both at the same time. The structure, the processes, those systems are all what's critical in order for us to deepen those impacts and to see those passions all realized. Um, I'm I'm curious to know. So now that you are in this position and, and do a lot of coaching and consulting, you know, what is like a good story that you've really seen measurable impact uh, where a, where a nonprofit or a social enterprise has really taken a hard turn to implement some structure into the way they approach their their work? So uh,
2: one of our our clients, um, and it's one of the ones that I like like to brag about, I think we kind of fits the story that that you're talking about. Uh, This is a this was a corporate foundation for a large pharmaceutical company, and they had started a corporate foundation um, many years ago to do one thing. And like any organization, right, no organization stays the same. No organization says, you know, I only want to do today what I did yesterday. Every organization, especially good organizations, want to do more. Um, they don't always have more resources. They just have more will, right? And they just take more and more hours and time to make more happen. So in this particular example, this foundation over the last 10 years had slowly assimilated right, and included more missions, more programs, more operations, but they hadn't have been able to secure more resources, maybe a little bit more philanthropic dollars, but no more people. And so you get to this point where an organization is about to break, but they don't realize it. But yet the staff is overworked. I mean, you this probably could describe right 100,000 nonprofits in the United States. And the organization is doing way too much. They just don't even have time to take a step back to think about how they could do things better. So in this particular one, we were brought in to help say, hey, are we doing the right things? And it started kind of benign. Hey, are are we doing the right things? Should we focus a little bit differently? And we took some of our expertise and some of our tools, and we did kind of a benchmarking study. We mapped it out. Um, I would like to brag on our team; we have one of the world's best data visualization scientists, um, and we were able to take the material that kind of showed how their mission and the organization had grown without company resources, and made it in a visual that an executive or a CEO could immediately recognize without having to read five pages of text to explain this. Which, as you know, is, is never going is never going to happen. So we were able to get the leadership to explain and see, gosh, we're right. We have grown this organization. They're having so much impact, but we're not resourcing in the proper way. And besides, you know, a program we started eight years ago, is it still as effective today as it was was eight years ago? And so in this particular one, we developed a, a roadmap for the way forward that says, you know, there's a way you could... Determine what your return on impact is across your portfolio. And maybe, just maybe, we should stop investing resources in a couple that you feel aren't getting the return. And let's identify new programs or reinvest more in ones that are having great success. So yeah, I'd like to tell you that I have done this so many times in the Department of Defense, the United States Army. And you know what we change? Nothing, right? You, you, you have these great, uh, presentations and this great idea is we're going to save so much money. We should cut this mission. Well, you, as you all know, in the United States government rarely do we cut any program, right? We just let it go on. But in this particular case, you know, the leadership of the corporation and of the foundation says, no, We are actually going to do this. And so they have sunset multiple programs that are no longer getting the same level of impact. They're investing in new ones, right? And we're all on now as advisors, helping them implement that. We've also allowed them to secure additional resources so they can reinvest in those particular areas because, you know, the world is different than when they started the foundation 13 years ago, fundamentally in every way that we can imagine. So that's one example of how almost no organization can do that themselves internally. One, you're too busy trying to get mission out the door, accomplish objectives, right? Meet client need today. You don't have time to step back. And sometimes you just need a different perspective. One of the things I like to tell our advising line of business is we like to play the inside outside game, right? We are part of your organizations. We help you, but we can also take a step back and see things that are happening in your environment and around you that you may not be aware of and give you just a slightly enough different perspective that allows you to make a better decision than if you're just informed by the same people that you talk to on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very cool. So I'm curious a little bit about, you know, when you're making these decisions, like there are obviously impact measurements that you're doing to determine if a program is working or not. So what does that process look like? Like, how do you measure the impact to inform the decisions of whether to keep a program, whether to cut it and so on?
2: So I would say, and if I could back up for just a second, right? So my company, Marsh Creek Social Works, right? We enable organizations to break closer to impact. So we don't try to do for the organization. We try to figure out what the organization needs so that they can allocate more of the resources towards impact. A lot of that times it can be coaching. Sometimes it's back office. It can be accounting. It can be the stuff that you're not an expert at, right? It can be marketing. It can be anything that I can take off of your plate and allow you go be the expert. You go interface with the client. So when you come home and you're exhausted at six o'clock, eight o'clock at night, you probably shouldn't jump on QuickBooks because you're probably going to make a mistake Let us do that for you and you can spend all your time, all your time with impact. So Laura, back to your question of how do we measure impact? We actually don't because we're not the experts, right? We are organizational experts. What we would do in this case or other ones, we identify ways that allows the organization to measure their impact. And and they know this, they know the client, they know the sector, they know the impact they want to have. What we try to do is take a step back and say, here are your programs. Let's find some common denominators how might you assess that? And it's a back and forth. And so here is a framework, right? So here is one, three, four, or five different criteria. Let's map them out for every single program. And then allow you to, to to measure. Maybe it's how much dollars you're spending. Maybe it's how many people you're touching. Maybe it's how many staff are, it requires. And usually the people that are running an organization, you understand your own pain points. You understand where the pressures are to a far greater degree than we are. So what we do is try to just set up the framework and then we kind of position the data in such a way that you can make a decision pretty quickly, right? A combination of data and intuition. That's we bring those two things together. The person in the nonprofit foundation, you have that intuition, we're going to help you with the data and then let's put them together. And, and usually we find is pretty quickly, they, they pinpoint, it doesn't take a whole lot of time for them to figure out, oh, you know what? Yeah, mm, that's really not working for us. We should change it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's definitely part of the focus and usually our intuition or our gut has a feeling for a reason, right? So to have that backed up with that qualitative information is, is going to be super important. Uh, a, a question that I have for you specifically, I think you give a, an interesting lens to me when I think about social impact, like if if, the, if a government agency is established, they are often also established to have a positive social impact. But we have like red tape. We have. Lots of different factors that add up into maybe a government agency not being super efficient or to your point, like once we get one started, it's really hard to cut it back. It just is a monster that keeps growing and growing and growing. But because a government agency is really built to support, uh, you know, the people from your perspective, how social enterprises And government agencies can do a better job of collaborating with one another. Or can they even just because there's two different, you know, perspectives of, of, of the work? I think I think they can,
2: and you know I, I was just talking uh, with uh, some folks um, at some emerging philanthropies up in New York City who have this very idea of saying how can you combine right the public sector and the private sector and the social sector, and how can you create partnerships? Now, par- partnerships is nothing new, um, but I'm, but no one's going to be surprised to find that a vast number of foundations and nonprofits don't leverage the networks, don't leverage the partnerships that potentially could be out there. So that's kind of an enduring thing that we that we can do. I think one is having understanding of how government works. So it can be incredibly daunting if you're in the social sector, if you're a foundation or nonprofit, to start interfacing with government, whether that's your local, right, state, federal, tribal, however that works, it can be daunting unless you understand like how government works and how to affect it. So sometimes we'll have folks that want to come and engage with government and like, that's great, but you're completely out of cycle, right? We, we can't engage for three or four months just because of the way that government works and the budget cycles and engagements and so on and so forth. So part of that is just having, you know, on our team, we have multiple um, decades of experience working in government. So I think we can help a little bit with helping nonprofits and social enterprises understand how government government works. On the other side, too, I think you do have to have a government that is willing and open to be working. And that some organizations and agencies lend themselves better to that than necessarily other ones do. And sometimes that can change in terms of the administration or even right who the appointed leadership are within a, within a different department. But I think combining entrees of networks of, of openings into different agencies, you can start uh, to identify where those kind of partnerships can occur.
0: You don't have any insight on which agencies are better than no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, something that caught our eye in the materials that you sent over um, is you you say in building this community footprint we believe we can achieve partnerships and cooperations between community business and social partners to more effectively identify and pursue solutions to community happiness. And I just, I love the way that you phrase that. And so I'm just really curious to hear your thoughts, like what does community happiness mean? What does that look like? And what kinds of solutions are you working on now towards that end?
2: So we do love that phrase, right? And we try to be a, a, a global instantiation of a local product, right? But we're headquartered here in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And if you drive into the great state of Pennsylvania, you know, the signs will say, pursue your happiness, which is obviously a riff off the declaration. And so we've just kind of loved it. And it's like, how can we do this, right? Pursuit of happiness for all. So what you kind of address there, Laura, is almost this emerging theory of change, theory of happiness that we have. Um, so, you know, historically, it doesn't matter what kind of consulting firm or whatever, you're out there trying to find clients, you know, and you can get who you have. And maybe once in New York, you know, we've got a small footprint in Orlando, in New York and in D.C. And so your clients tend to be kind of spread out. And so kind of with the advent specifically of some crowdfunding, Kickstarter, some of these things, it's given us opportunity to kind of focus on a geographic footprint. So we talk about community happiness. What that means is you try to blend, how do we blend our advising line of business, our uh, accounting line of business, and our impact investing line of business into one geographic footprint. So we find synergies instead of saying, I've got a client in St. Louis, a client in New York, and so on. So we try to find community, uh, let's say, for example, companies that are just getting started in a community, right? So how can we engage with that community, that um, company owner early on to start thinking about philanthropy, CSR, How? what's your relationship with your community, even whether they're trying to, you know, just get clients in the door. As that, Business gets established, right? They start touching different elements of the communities, right? Who's your workforce? Where do they live, right? Are there nonprofits that are serving those same kind of areas and communities? Can they partner with the companies? Kind of to your point, David, right? What local agencies have a footprint there in the ground? Are there other businesses that could use accounting back in so they can focus more time on the front end? So we're trying to more geographically align our services. And so I think. Even as we look at our own impact, I can have more impact by having clients across our businesses in the same zip code than I can if they're spread out in three or four different states. Now, again, we're, we're happy to take clients wherever, wherever they are and where we can have the most need. But our emerging theory of change is that we can create more community happiness by kind of finding synergies amongst the products that we offer and the activities of the clients as they are engaged. How do they operate together?
0: Yeah, that- but that's perfect, and and again, like you're kind of tying all the things together, and that's really what we want. And that's when, like, when I think about government and politics and kind of where we are uh, from a from a political landscape. Yeah, what I, what I kind of have to keep reminding my community is we all want that. Like we all want better education. We all want to feed our kids. We all want to have housing and it be affordable and, you know, help the next generation grow into the next thing. So it's a, I think a healthy reminder and for all of us that this idea of happiness is not a political concept and it's, it's one that's attainable for everybody. Um, we just have different opinions on how to get there. So, um, that's really. I love that statement. To me, it's a very grounding way to say all that too. Okay. So for our listeners, uh, kind of to go back a little bit into the consulting hat, I want to close thinking about, you know, what services you offer, how people can be in, in touch with you if they're interested in learning more. But right now I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, about the listener who just had that gut feeling that we were talking about a minute ago. They know something is up. They know that there's change that needs to be happened. They probably have a pretty good idea of what that change may need to be. What do I do after listening to this? What is my first step into addressing that and, and really bringing in outside perspective to to help me take it to the next level?
2: Yeah, well, I would say you can always go to com, right, and check out the full uh, line of services that that we do. But I would tell you, if they were to to give us a call, what we would go back to and say, you know, why are you doing what it is that you do, right? If you're a company, why... Why are you doing that? Why are you offering that product and service? What, whose lives are you trying to change, right? If you're a foundation, you know, at the end of the day, what are you trying? What are you trying to achieve? Same for nonprofit, right? So across our, our three client sectors, I always start with that question. What is it that you want to achieve? how is it that you want to change lives? And often, you know, it's, you can say with a, you know, kind of a smirk, oh, let's go back to our mission statement. But there's a reason that we have mission and vision and values, right? And if you haven't refreshed and looked at that in a while, um, that's where we're going to start, right? And then we're going to look at what you're doing on a day to day, right? And okay, how did you spend 30% of your time today? Was it on your mission? Was it accomplishing your vision, right? And was it aligned with your values, you know? And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. But then let's think through how can we analyze what you do so that you can spend more time on that, right? And then what partners can you then leverage to take all of those other things that are keeping you away from your mission and your vision and your values, right? And so that can be across any kind of organization, any kind of uh, expertise or whatever that you're trying to do. And then we analyze a way of how to best help you get there
1: that's awesome well eric thank you so much for coming on today and sharing about marsh creek social works and just the incredible work that you're doing and all the pieces that have come from the stages of life that you've been in and and the career paths that you've taken it's just it's really cool to see it kind of culminate into what you're doing now so thank you so much for just sharing that sharing your story and uh, for those of you listening you heard it marshcreeksocialworks.com that's where you can go to get connected with Eric and his team
2: great thank you both so much for having me